tonight on Rogue Padron, Miladies of an Endless War. <laughs> okay, we we just have to edit there because that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> it's Hera. Oh my God, Hera! It's Hera. Nath would simply outthink the Death Star. Kairos plays dirty, wink wonk, and Erika continues to not understand therapy. Thank you for wink wonking, yep. despite the fact that I didn't write wink wonk, but I planned on writing it. I knew what you meant. Thank you. I typoed <laughs> wink wonk. I can't believe this. Or you just got autocorrected. Yeah. Danny, autocorrect doesn't happen on Google Docs, on browser. It's yeah, fine. Danny. I got autocorrected by my hands. It's fine. Has that never happened to you? Where you're writing a word and you're no. trying to spell it wrong, but your hands are like, no, I know how to write it right. No! No! <laughs> I guess... Absolutely not. I've been autocorrected by my feet before, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> oh my god. My spleen autocorrects me from time to time. Now that I need to know more about. I feel like I feel like Heath, your liver is probably the one that's doing the most autocorrection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. This is Rogue Leader. All wings report in. Rogue Six standing by. Rogue Seven standing by. Rogue Three standing by. Yeah, you guys gotta get weird with this one. So many balls. <laughs> <laughs> that was so boaty. <laughs> Excuse me, that's Brigadier General Melbar. Yeah, there's, there's two Darth Vaders. They, they kind of swap in and out as Natalie Portman and Anakin Skywalker. Pepperoncini! <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Oh, boy. Hello, listeners. (laughs) Welcome to Season 3, Mission 8, Episode 108 of the Quadrant. Season what? 13. You said 3. I didn't even hear her say that. We're throwing way back, y'all. Oh yeah. my god, going back in time. Talking about the uh, the Kairos trap. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, even I know it's called not that. What is it called, though? It was an alphabet squadron joke. Because Daddy said Kairos trap. I was like, holy shit, has Kairos been around this long? <laughs> No, Kairos has not been. This is not. You did not connect any dots. Okay. Nope. I <laughs> no. No dots seconds. were connected. What, our <laughs> listeners that actually care about the X-wing books will enjoy that joke, and that's all that matters. That it was a good matters. joke, Danny. Thank you. This will also be Alphabet Padron episode two. So if you haven't read Alphabet Squadron, maybe read Alphabet Squadron before listening to this episode. If you don't want to get spoiled, yeah. All you have to do if you've read part one and you don't haven't read the whole book, you only have to read part two for this. Uh, so once you hit part three, you're good. <laughs> like we're not talking about that today. It's fine. It's good. Also, and, and if this is your first episode of Rogue Padron, you only have to read part two. So if you haven't finished part one yet, <laughs> just skip to part two and read that. It's fine. And then honestly. listen to this episode. 
Who among us didn't do that with the X-Wing books? Meg. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. All right. But before we jump into Alphabet Squadron, a quick reminder of your host, because it has been a little bit since you've heard from us. If Saf Rogue Seven was a tea, she'd be masala chai because she can be spicy, sweet, or both depending on the person. I freaking love masala chai. I'm so happy about this. <laughs> Danny Rogue Six would be iced barley tea, which can be an acquired taste, but once people try it and like it, they love it forever. Aww. I freaking love iced barley tea. I'm so happy about this. <laughs> Heath, Rogue 3, is Southern Sweet Tea because it is what it is and makes no apologies for its intensity and tastes better with bourbon. Yes, 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 I do. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Meg, Rogue Leader, and I'm Ceremonial Grade Matcha because by myself I'm bitter, but I can be easily mixed with other things to be sweet and lovely. Aww, also pretty color. Great color. I really like, I, I wish, I try to like matcha so much. But I can't, I, I just don't like it, something about it. Its taste is not for me. But I want to like it so much because it's so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. And I want to drink that aesthetic drink. It's so aesthetic. <laughs> but also, I really like matcha. Meg, how do you know so much about tea? Uh, because tea's good. I drink tea. Danny, you know that episode? <laughs> no, that's cool. You know that scene in uh, Scotland versus the World? <laughs> Which Danny? one? Which scene? The, in the one with Ramona, where she's world. like, "Do you want tea?" And he's like, "What tea do you have?" And she like lists off a whole list of tea. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of uh, that's that's a very typical thing for nerdy woman to do. It's very typical. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a very true stereotype right there. Okay. Oh shoot. Yes. Um. Have you not been <laughs> recording? Okay. Well, speaking of stereotypes, oh, yeah, Danny. Forgot a question about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, I have a question for you as we're talking about recording, actually. Are you recording on Skype as well as a backup? Yeah. Cool. Um, so ducks are canon. What do we think about that? Since when? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I looked around and I saw a duck. It was the first... <laughs> First thing I could think of. If we were doing a live episode, I'd be walking out right now. <laughs> Wait, are yeah, ducks duck, really canon? Ducks are Star pretty Wars? cool. Aren't they? They yeah, are. Yeah, Google this now. We're sitting ducks. Yeah. Wait, Did who says stop? that? What, what is that? Panaka, what is that? Captain Panaka in episode one. But ducks were a species of. We'll be sitting ducks. Ducks were a species of non sentient birds that evolved on Naboo. They had broad and elongated bodies with a relatively long neck and broad bill. They also had two legs set far back on the body and a pair of short pointed wings. Well, this is why Naboo is the beast planet, because it has ducks. Ducks were first mentioned in the 1977 (laughs) novelization of Star Wars Episode IV, A New Hope, which was ghostwritten by Alan Dean Foster. Oh my god. Why doesn't it say how they were mentioned? Yeah, like... (laughs) So Alan Dean Foster is the reason ducks are in Star Wars. Ducks. Oh boy. How do I feel about this? I feel great about this, Danny. Wow, there's a lot of appearances of ducks in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Save this for an episode. For a duck episode. There was a curious 
Kenobi said, I understand you are quite a pilot yourself. Piloting and navigation aren't hereditary, but a number of the things that can combine to make a good small ship pilot are. Those you may have inherited. Still, even a duck has to be taught to swim. Luke said, what's a duck? Kenobi said, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I love This is an actual quote from this original novelization of A New Hope. Oh my god. Kenobi said, never mind. What's a duck? Never mind. The classic Star Wars quote. (laughs) Danny, I am so happy about this. Yeah, that I'll save that for a full episode. Anyways, that's a preview of an upcoming episode with Danny about ducks. Alright. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about their corkscrew penises. Please no. We can. I would yeah. really rather not do that. That's, that's a oh that's the quadrant that, divided right there. Is that canon too? That's safe for the I mean, episode. That's, that's Earth canon. Okay, so maybe they have different shaped penises. I mean, you never know. Space oh is space, God. right? What is happening? Space. Please say something else so I don't have to make my segue based on this. Please. <laughs> okay. nope, so that's it. Lu- Luke said, do they have corkscrew penises in space too? And Kenobi <laughs> said, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Speaking of wanting to get away from this conversation, <laughs> let's talk about Alphabet Squadron. <laughs> Less. Just like Obi Wan, I do not want to Ooh. answer this question. <laughs> so we are never in... mind. <laughs> That's my second favorite Star Wars quote now. <laughs> the first one is "Yep, yep." <laughs> <laughs> it's Good great because it's so universal. It yep. is. Yep. 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 <laughs> So, Alpha Squadron, part two, Maladies of an Endless War. Maladies. Maladies. <laughs> Maladies. I'm sorry, every time I open my notes, I would laugh at that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Thank you for the validation. You did good. So, this part opens on Hera Syndulla. She's here. Hera Syndulla? Hera Syndulla, she's here. She's from something else. She's from... Who is she again? Star Wars Rebels. Wow. <laughs> She is the cool pilot of Star Wars Rebels. If you don't know her, what do you? Why Heath you has never heard of show? that. <laughs> how how is this a thing? Anyways, she's she's a green Twi'lek lady, and she's amazing. And she's also mentioned in Rogue One. In the background, you can hear General Sundula blah 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 uh, over the speakers because it's over the loudspeakers. I don't know what else they're saying, but I remember slapping my friend next to me out of excitement because they said General Sundula. She's a non-sexualized a, green Twi'lek lady, she, no less. Mm, there is that one episode where she dresses up like a slave. Really? Yeah, yeah I was yeah, really mad about it. Yeah. To, like, yeah. fool some guy. I don't remember. He's real gross. Lando's yeah. there. It's Lando's fault. It's Lando's uh, fault. She does <laughs> whack Lando in the dick with a tray. So that does is she pretty dress good. up like a slave in that one? I thought she just had to pretend to be a slave, but I, don't, I thought she never changed out of her jumpsuit. She, no, she changes outfits, I'm pretty sure. I don't oh, remember okay. if she does or not, but the fact she has to pretend to be a slave just made me mad. But she does, yeah. She, she slams a tray into... Lando's junk, and so the episode is somewhat redeemed. God, I can't believe Star Wars has ha- so much Star Wars has happened since then that I just totally forgot this was a thing until right now. <laughs> Anyways, Hera Syndulla is no longer <laughs> pretending to be a slave. She is a general of the New Republic, uh, and she has always known the victory wouldn't come easy because she used to be part of a <laughs> rebel cell that really struggled to get things done. 
she's telling an aide, Stormvane, a name, that if they ever get frustrated about trying to make the New Republic work, they just have to remember when smuggling fruit to villages was a victory, which is a call-out to a Star Wars Rebels episode where they do exactly that. <laughs> That's the very first episode, right? Yeah, I think it is. It's where, like, Ezra learns what it means to help people. He's like, wow, these people are so happy to have fruit, and I did this. Um, Ezra's he learns- first lesson. <clears throat> yeah, he learns a valuable lesson that day. He doesn't learn they should eat fruit, but he learns to give it to people, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Have your five a day, Ezra. I grow up to be a strong Jedi. True. She's leading the Bama battle group to help free the Bama system from Imperial control, since there were no Imperial leaders charismatic or ballsy enough to take control of that system from the get-go when the Empire fell apart. So her super fun job right now is to basically triage distress calls and decide what is what is most important for her to send her group to go do. Um, which is kind of rough because she has to choose things that she can't help. Which, if you know her at all, she wants to help everybody. Stormvane returns to tell her that Adan is here early for his meeting, and she's like, alright, just let him in and call security if he isn't out of my office in 30 minutes. Adan struts into her office, and she's like, I guess I'll get used to his airstalks eventually. I did stop laughing at human hair eventually, after all, and I found that amazing. Wow, Hera. <laughs> <laughs> I love- More like- no hair, uh, am I right? <laughs> yeah, no. you're right. She doesn't have any hair. <laughs> I just love this little, like, look into how aliens actually view humans in Star Wars, because we don't really see that that often. Yeah. And she's not that's wrong. They're, that's because they're the standard. They're the norm. Yeah, so why would we ever think that anyone would think they look weird, despite the fact right. that they do? So she's not wrong in thinking that Adan reeks of self-importance, but she's trying to start their working relationship off on the right foot by thanking him for his work with the Hellion Stair. He wants to brief her on his proposal for taking down Shadowwing, but she already knows what he's going to propose, so she asks him to walk the Lodestar with her. Hang on, let me just remember where this dramatic reading is, because it's soon. It's soon. Okay, yes. Um, the captain had described the Lod- Lone Star, Lodestar, Lodestar, I don't know which one's right anymore. The Lone Star is sturdy, and Hera didn't have the heart to argue with him despite the fact it's clearly falling apart. This is the resistance. They're poor, use everything until it totally falls apart. The Lone Star is very relatable. Oh god, I've gone on a tangent, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because that's how it feels to be poor, and I relate to the resistance a lot. This isn't even the resistance, this is a rebellion. What what is happening right now? I lost my mind while I was writing that part, because I was like, this is an analogy for how the rebellion... Has, has gotten so used to using every single piece of equipment they have until it totally falls apart because they've been poor and fighting against a rich empire. And I lost my mind writing that. Are, are you doing okay now? I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the fact that my pants have holes in them. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, no. I hope your pants have at least three holes in them. <laughs> oh my god. They have at least three holes, I will promise you that. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Hera's telling Adan that he doesn't have to convince her that they have a problem, like the Rebellion has a problem, but he has to convince them that he has a good solution for it. He tells her about his working group, and she's like, you want to run a personal squadron out of my fleet. And he's like, I just want to use your hangar to launch my working group. And she's like... All you need is an operating base? Hera asked as Adan arrived at her side. That's your way of saying 
I want to run a personal fighter squadron out of your fleet? Specialized. Adon said. Not personal. My group is tasked with analyzing the Shadow Wing threat and developing plans to counter their tactics, obtaining information from combat zones out of reach of New Republic intelligence, and assisting or leading direct engagements against Shadow Wing itself. Adan was quoting from his own memoranda, but Hera didn't interrupt him. You said you don't have resources. My people come with their own ships. You said you don't have the intelligence you need. That's our top priority. But what your people don't have is all this, Hera said, gesturing to the chaos of the hangar. You're not just asking for space aboard a cramped ship. You're asking for supplies and expertise. You need my ground crews, my munitions, everything. And frankly... She hesitated to say what she'd been thinking since she'd first read Adan's proposal, but she'd been in the Rebellion long enough to speak her mind about its future. What you're asking for looks a lot like an attempt to run a military operation without military oversight. She softened her tone and lowered her voice. Officer Adan... The Chancellor's made it clear that she doesn't want a New Republic military at all once the peace comes. I don't like the precedent of this. Adan met her gaze. The frustration left his face, but the harshness didn't. I'm not asking you to like it, he said. But my superiors have already authorized me to carry out the plan. I told you, all I need is an operating base. Hera hid her surprise, squaring her shoulders and clenching her jaw. She could object, she knew, take her complaint directly to the Chancellor, who owed her dinner and more than a few favors, but that wasn't how a situation like this needed to be handled. I have two conditions, she said. By all means, Adan said almost graciously. First, if your squadron is operating out of the Lodestar, it answers at all times to the captain and wing commander on duty. We're not delaying a launch for you, and if you need extra fighters to defend the battle group, you don't sit on your hands and watch, understood? Understood. That was an easy one, Hera thought. Now for the hard part. Second, you don't get to command the squadron. Adan's eyes turned hard. Excuse me? Blinking white guide docket? (laughs) (laughs) You never served in the Alliance military, did you? Hera knew the answer. Rushed as she'd been, she'd done her research. No, but... What about before you joined the Rebels? Any naval training? Local security work? This time the question wasn't rhetorical. No. She thought of asking... What did you do exactly? But she wasn't trying to humiliate him. Then I can understand... She said... Why you may not fully appreciate what running a Starfighter Squadron entails. But if you're going to operate out of my fleet, I need someone who could look at all of this... She jerked her chin in the direction of the ships and know how to talk to the ground crews and account for support and logistics. Someone who knows how to plan an operation from start to finish, and who knows what a B-wing is capable of and what an A-wing isn't. I won't have time to review every flight plan of your working group puts together. And for your own people's safety, I want someone with flight experience signing off. You can oversee the squadron, give it mission parameters, propose whatever you want. But when it comes to -to day-to-day operations, your squadron commander runs things. There we go. Hera has torn down Adan a little bit. And he's not actually going to be running Alphabet Squadron, turns out, when they're out on training missions, much to his chagrin. Because he hasn't actually had any experience in any of this. And what he's doing kind of looks like military operation without oversight. And Hera's like, that's not cool. Um, She knows that she could push back on him already having authority to do this but she knows it's not the right thing to do like she should give the squadron a chance so 
His squadron must answer to the captain and wing commander on duty of the Lodestar at all times, and he doesn't get to command the squadron. They're talking about, like, who could actually oversee the squadron as the commander. He's mad, but he suggests Will, and she's like, haha, no, he's a baby. He's a baby. (laughs) He's an absolute baby. He doesn't want to suggest Nath, because Nath might just steal the team away from him. So there's only one choice, Erika. But she's a defector. Yeah, and some of the best rebels Hera's ever known have been defectors, a.k.a. Wedge. Our boy Wedge and Tilly's. Our boy Wedge. And Callus. So he says, it'll be Quell then, until it isn't. Which is somewhat ominous. <laughs> Yikes. After he's gone, Hera thinks about how much she misses her family, the ghost crew. She wishes they were with her. We don't know where they are, and I am distressed about that. Hmm. Hopefully they all... Aren't they all spread across the galaxy at this point? Uh, Isn't like Zaboff making love to Callus and <laughs> Sab- Sabine is like on a journey with the White Wizard of Ahsoka? I don't think they believe with. Like, I don't think she's left with Ahsoka yet. Sorry for the rebels spoilers for who hasn't watched it. Um, oh no! Yeah, sorry if you haven't watched that show from three years ago. That's a couple years. That's a couple years after because Hera hasn't had Jason yet. Oh. Uh, but she, yeah, she's had to have had Jason by now because Kanan has been dead for three years. So unless no. Jason isn't. This is like right after Indoor. Mm. Right, but Rebels took place like three years before A New Hope. Yeah, not by the end of it. Wait. What? That Jason Rebels is covers a few then. years. Yeah, but right. it's all pre. It's all pre. It's all pre the original trilogy, and this book is after the original trilogy. This book is not long after Indoor. Yeah, yes, but which is the end of the original it's... trilogy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jason's born before A New Hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, am I, am I, like, No, Dan, crazy? you're correct. Dan, <laughs> what you're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she just doesn't mention Jason throughout this book, which is, like, weird. Weird. <laughs> That's weird. Man, I, I saw mean, people on Twitter discussing it like he was born after this. Now I'm just confused. I don't understand timelines. Don't listen to Twitter. I don't listen to Twitter. The original yeah, trilogy to Twitter. has stupid timelines. <laughs> um, Lord. That means she was pregnant over Scarif. Yeah. That's fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so speaking of being pregnant and flying, I guess... <clears throat> Fly, die, and try was an old Imperial Starfighter Corps adage. Adage? I don't know how to say the word. And it's what Erika reminds herself upon watching her new squadron practice maneuvers at the edge of the Go Breton minefield. It's a very Imperial way of thinking, though she doesn't seem to realize that yet, because she has no self-awareness. She doesn't think she's cut out for the role of commander, but I would like to note that upon learning Kairos would be flying under her, she went and built a vocabulary of the Ewing's computer sounds so she'd know what Kairos was saying without translation from D6. She doesn't expect Kairos to change to suit her, she's working to what Kairos needs. So, in my opinion, she's already making a good leader. Yeah, she's not like a terrible leader. She makes some bad choices, but that's fine. Yes, that's why... That she's learning all these things about Kairos. Because she's trying to be a good leader and for no other reasons. <coughs> I'm so sorry, I really need to cough. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really need to cough and Audacity doesn't let me mute. <laughs> audacity. Um, also that she's in love with Kairos, yeah. Her main reasoning for not feeling like she deserves the role, despite proving she earned it, is that she doesn't trust the promotion. She doesn't trust Adan, fair choice, and it's not that she doesn't trust her team, she just doesn't know them. 
After all, Kairos and Nath have both tried to kill her once already. But those are just inter- interpersonal challenges. It's fine. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, she was stealing an X-Wing when Kairos tried to kill her. I think that's fine. And Nath thought that she was an Imperial out to get him when she came to visit yeah, him. So I like, feel like that's Both fair. of those situations were totally fine. Exactly. Interpersonal challenges. They'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't hold it against him anyways. It's fine. Her biggest struggle is that she actually doesn't trust her own judgment. She knows how to work with fellow Imperials who've all been trained to the same strict standards as her, but the Rebels work very differently. Still, she'd promised to get the group battle ready in a few days. Uh Uh-huh. Also, she doesn't trust her X-Wing because it's extremely different to her TIE. It's very open and exposed to space, while her TIE cushioned her within its hull. This is their fourth training mission. Will is being a precious boy taking out mines, and Chas is being sarcastic in return, but Yurika is glad to see that the danger of the mines is actually focusing the squadron's attention. The squadron does have problems, though, mainly coming from all of them barely knowing each other and flying vastly different starfighters. It's all they have, though. Her notes, Chas is an awesome flyer but sucks at communication, Will's shooting is average but he's a graceful pilot, Nath actually falls into routine with the others well when they're working together, and Kairos is Kairos. She's about... <laughs> I just, I just love that she's always like, Kairos is just Kairos. There's nothing yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, what else can you say, honestly? Nothing. Kairos is a pretty, pretty blank book. I don't know what, I, I don't know what the analogy I'm going for there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> a blank book. I don't know. Yes, a blank book. You know what I mean. Yeah, we know. <laughs> she's about to call it for the day when Nath accidentally pulls a mine onto a slow Y-Wing's tail. She gives instructions. Was that was that intake of laughter at my slow Y-Wing? No, I was sighing about Nath. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that should be a t-shirt. I was sighing about Nath. <laughs> sighing about Nath. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> the issue here is that his Y-Wing is too slow to outrun this mine. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> She gives some instructions and rushes to take out the mine already following Kairos, but everyone seems a little confused to her instructions. Will manages to draw the mine away from Nath, but Chess tries to detonate it and activates another mine, and now Will has two following him. He flies. It's so useless. (laughs) (laughs) He flies in front of Chess so she can take out his mines, and she takes out part of his ship as well. She jokes that he's in one piece because half of him got vaporized. It's fine though, because he's alive. Girl. <laughs> well, he is technically in one piece. Yeah, but he's like stuck in his ship. <laughs> but he's alive. This isn't the first time this has happened to him. And the A Wing can be repaired, which is all good news. Does that You're... say more about Will or about Erica? I think it says more about Chas. I think it says the most about Chas. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> The reason he's been stuck in a white in an A wing that's like falling apart around him is because of Chess both times. Yeah, actually, no. The first time is because he clips a Tie wing's wing, a Tie fighter's wing. Yeah, so that's not Chess's fault, but it's fine. <laughs> Eureka knows what went wrong. Obviously, she gave confusing instructions. They went silent while focused on saving Kairos. She can't blame Will and Chess for what they did, even though it did mess up. A frustrated and very tattooed mechanic watches with Yurika as the Y-Wing gets taken away. 
She points out that they got outsmarted by a piece of machinery, and Yurika thinks about how the mechanic would have been punished in the Empire for being so disrespectful. But is the mechanic wrong, though? No, she's not. No, no <laughs> Absolutely <at> not. <laughs> when Yurika asks how long it'll take to get the fighter fixed, the mechanic, Ragnell, explains that they only have one A-wing on the Lodestar, and it'll take time to get parts. Yurika asks for a win, and Ragnell gives her four days, wanting her not to break more than one ship at a time. She meets with Adan to brief him on the squadron's progress, but he's not really listening. Hero heard about the accident and has declared no more flight time for the squadron until they get their act together. Yurika has no argument for that. She has to turn the squadron into a working team. So it's therapy time. Ido asks if she spent... (laughs) Yeah. Ido asks if she spent much time with her team off duty, and of course she hasn't. She's been busy, okay? The only reason she's made time for Ido is because it said it would go over her squad's personnel records with her. She doesn't even use her pal's first names when referring to them. She wants to know what she needs to know about them. What she needs to know is what they all have in common, according to Ito. Will is a homesick, sole survivor of a squadron, exceedingly gentle temperament. Chas is somewhere in her early 20s and considers herself Thielen, homeworld unknown, which makes Yerika think the slur, Rimrat, thanks to her imperial time, but she instantly feels bad about it because she grew up knowing people who grew up on the fringes of civilization. Chas is also the sole survivor of her squadron for the second time. Nath is an Ath, also the sole survivor of his squadron. Ito's making a point here. Yerika interrupts Ito to ask about Kairos, of course. Kairos has her own challenges, and they're classified. She understands. Kairos is Kairos. Kairos is Kairos. Kairos. <laughs> like, that's just what it is all the time. Yurika's like, please tell me more about Kairos. And everyone's like, she's just Kairos. No. Can't. It's classified. Kyra- Yurika tries to push back against this, and Ito's like, no, Kairos understands the risks of ambiguity, and Ito can't share anything about her, much to Yurika's chagrin. Ito asks about her final pilot and pulls up a hollow of Yurika Quell. Whoa, Yurika- plot twist. <laughs> Whoa! The final pilot was you! <laughs> what about you? The final pilot was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yurika tries to hide her discomfort and plays along like the holos about another person. Yurika Quell, traitor and sole survivor of her squadron. Why is she a traitor? Because of Operation Cinder. She believes that when innocents die in a war, there should be a point to it. She says, if you can't even begin to explain what good you're doing by fighting, you're fighting on the wrong side. Ito wonders if she has any further thoughts on why Cinder, Cider, on why Cider was ordered. My type wasn't this great. <laughs> Operation Cider. Operation Cider. And she threatens to leave. Ito asks her to sit and stay because it may not be her friend, but it does care about her well-being and wants to help. Besides, it also understands what it means to change. Ugh. <laughs> I love I love Ito. I so love much. Ito so much. I love Ito so much. I get I like I get where Erika is coming from, but I get really mad when like she constantly reminds herself that like he's a torture droid. He's a torture droid. He doesn't really care about you. And I'm like, but he but Ito does care about you. He's not a torture droid anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's your therapy droid. Be kind to Ito. Be nice to Ito. Ito also said if she walks out, Adan will demand she attend regular therapy or she'll be removed from the squadron. So she kind of has to stay. She gives up and says she'll talk about anything Ito wants. She wants to prove herself. We go back to Grandma. (laughs) (laughs) She's leaving the settlement of Indukron. I put in these names so that I would have to say them to make Meg feel better. Um, Oh, thanks. (laughs) Now I regret it. (laughs) Yeah, welcome. 
<laughs> and she's heading to Orbital 1. She asks for the long route there, the scenic route, I guess. She hates the grandmother nickname because it's a reminder that she's getting old and soft. She's been inspecting Pandem Nye settlements and Imperial installations. She's been glad to see that the population isn't going to be rising up anytime soon and that all of the Imperials are pledged entirely to her. She was lucky to find Pandem Nye after Cinder when she could find no centralized Imperial authority and the Pursuer had wrecked up damage. They'd found Pandem Nye, rich with Tabana gas, and was still under control. Without Tabana, the Empire would be pretty useless in a war because it, like it's what they used to make mines and shit like that. Mm. It's a weapons gas. I don't know. If you know Star Wars, you've probably heard of it before. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly certain everybody who listens to this podcast has heard of Tabana Gas before. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. That's my point. <laughs> Her pilot asks if she wants to land a st- the shuttle, and she's like, is he really that incompetent? And then she realizes he's trying to be nice to her. Disgusting. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> How dare he? She's like, no. Just fly the damn ship. Pandemnize atmosphere is rich with Tabana gas, which means that any battleship weapons would likely backfire when in Atmo. She figures they've got the advantage there as long as the rebels don't build their own Death Star. She's prepared uh, for a siege. The rebels don't have the money to build a Death Star. The rebels would also not do that. <laughs> they also the have rebel- the morals to not build a Death Star. <laughs> the rebels would build, like, the jankiest Death Star. <laughs> like, it'd, all, it'd be made from, like, secondhand parts. And it would shoot, like, care parcels out to planets. Oh, okay, that's pretty cute. <laughs> oh my gosh, a hospitality death star. A care star. A care star. A care star. I love it. Oh <laughs> this was Will's idea, and everyone's like, this is stupid. <laughs> everyone's like, this is stupid, but Eric is like, I must, I must encourage this boy so we're making it happen. I have, I have to make... <laughs> This was the one plan he came up with. We have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the one plan my stupid son came up with. We have to make it work. We got we got to make it happen. <laughs> okay, but someone needs to write the fanfic AU where Tarkin is actually just sending uh, care packages to every citizen of Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> but he sends way too many, which is why the planet explodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He was just trying to be nice. It's like one of those, like, monkey paw wishes. It's like killing them with kindness. Yeah, like, oh, I wish that instead of the Death Star being a laser, it's a care star, it sends care packages, and then, like, it still blows up anyway. (laughs) It sends the care packages out, like, light speed. Yeah. Too many homemade cookies at once. Yeah. (laughs) It's a monkey paw situation. Like, you can't go back and fix that. It really is. So Grandma gets onto Orbital 1, and her officers brief her on updates. She finds herself missing Sora's keys. Uh, he'd looked after the squadron readiness and morale, which she now has to do, and mm. she's probably not great at it. She misses meeting with him after work to speak grimly about how bad everything actually is, because she trusted him. So he was, like, her only confidant. Confidant. I don't know how to say that, and my brain went for French. I'm so sorry. Someone asks if there's been any word from above, like, as in, like, upper imperial above not literally above them um grandma is about to i don't know why i felt like i had to clarify that i'm sorry (laughs) grandma is actually about to go talk to her source and they'll all know if and when she has an update her source is one of the emperor's messengers that ordered cinder it's a floating figure decked out in red with a big blank 
glass faceplate. Blank black glass faceplate. She asks if it has orders and it is silent, as it has been since Cinder. Grandma trusts that the Emperor has a plan, just as he did as Chancellor Palpatine during the Clone Wars. She's going to fight to survive to aid the Empire as long as she can. Grandma. Oh, Grandma. I know you're worried about, like, wrinkles and stuff. <laughs> Maybe you should be worried about the fact that you think you're still going to get information from this thing. Yeah, like, I feel like the messengers were only there to order Cinder. I don't think they had any plans after yeah, that. Yeah, they're pre-programmed. They are not a direct connection to the ghost of Palpatine that's currently living in the remains <laughs> of the second Death Star. Like, I, <laughs> I know that they described exactly what this messenger looked like, but I just kind of imagined that she had, like, a sentient <clears throat> Chucky doll following her around everywhere. Oh my god. That's horrifying. Right? As times like this, I'm really glad I have a Fantasia. <laughs> have you have you seen what they look like, Danny? Yeah, from the Shattered Empire comic, right? Oh yeah, they're also they're in, in there. Yeah, yeah, they're also in um Battlefront too. I just really like the image of Palpatine sending out Chucky dolls across the galaxy to carry out his mission post death, you know? Yikes. That's oh that makes me like him even less, which is <laughs> No, impressive. I'm here for it. I'm here I was for it. see. I was Especially if they're all voiced by Mark Hamill. <laughs> I, ugh, here for I, it. I was picturing like you know in episode one where there's that hologram of Palpatine and has one with the spider legs. So I was yes. picturing like the spider legs, but then the upper half of a of a crimson guard, but then it has the projection of the Emperor's face over the front of the the face of the guard's mask. Yeah. If, if, if any of our fans like listen to this, and if any of our fans listen to this, if any of our fans listening to this do art, can you draw that for me? Because I really want to see that. It sounds wild. It sounds heckin' weird, but I'm into it. <laughs> like I just imagine having that thing in your quarters for years. Oh, horrifying! Grandma, grandma, please stop grandma. worrying about wrinkles. <laughs> there's other things (laughs) Chess comes into view of the Death Star and feels rage and disgust Erika gives orders and Chess points out that the Death Star shields shouldn't be down right now that's not right Will agrees the real Death Star wasn't like this oh my god well it's a simulation (laughs) (laughs) yeah are they all like Death Star splitting each other right now they are Chess is like it's not right it's not like this, Will. Tell her it wasn't like this. And Will's like, yeah, it wasn't like this. <laughs> Even the ties in the simulation die much easier than the real ones that they took down that took down the dare. Chess tries to imagine what it was like to be at the real battle, but the simulation just feels fake. It's a Nef- simulation. Yeah, it's a simulation. Imagine that. <laughs> this is this is all of your own faults. So <laughs> just live with it. Get it together. Just follow orders and make it look like you're working as a team. Which Nath absolutely does not do. He ignores orders and he dishes everyone. And he apparently has a plan in mind. He's like, don't worry, I've got this. The, the team isn't doing well in general. Suddenly the viewports flash white and then go black. Nath says they should call it a win. Only one of them died and the Death Star's gone. He'd actually gone off Nath and- has a low bar. <laughs> yeah, he'd broken the simulation. Uh, the computer was basically already struggling with emulating the indoor battle because it's so damn big and there were so many flight plans and ships to uh, emulate. 
and Nath had gone out of his way to make it load more and more and more stuff until it just straight up crashed. Which is a thing you can do. Uh, Chess can't really be mad at him. He didn't. He didn't. He cheated. But he didn't really cheat. After oh, all, she figures it's Will's fault they're in The Sims to begin with, so she can't be mad at him. <laughs> this team is a mess. I just love that Nath was like, "Wait, I know how to do this," and he just goes off and breaks it. Like way That's to prove not, Hera's point. That is not how you. <laughs> <laughs> they're worse than the wraiths. Is all I have to say. <laughs> it's an accomplishment. Yeah. Quill is pissed. Nath points out that the simulation wasn't really helping. Chess was barely putting in effort to take out ties, and Will was unintentionally flying to pre-programmed blast patterns, which, clever boy. He didn't realize he was doing it, but he basically saw the algorithms and was playing them. It's not like Quill can take any of that to Hera, though, because that's a simulation. She's going to send them what she has on Shadowwing pilot profiles, even though they're not finished, and they have to analyze that and learn shadowing i guess when chess goes to leave nath asks if she wants to go drinking with him she thinks that nath seems like a con artist pretending to be a con artist and she doesn't hate him like she knows she should she's like all right let's drink officially the rebel alliance's military prohibits intoxicants obviously that doesn't stop anyone and never has no she meets nath for a drink after a shower and is frustrated to find a will there too nath didn't say he was coming will says cairo said no and company is good Are you that much of an idiot? Chess thought. Are you that much of an idiot? Chess said. Will winced, but to his credit, the expression passed almost before Chess spotted it. We've got to try. He said. What happened with the dare? You're not going to like me, but we have to try. Tell it to Satanique. Chess pivoted and started to walk away. Even at her height, she had to duck under a power conduit to pass. Before she made it five meters, she turned back and called, For the record, I am trying. You know how you can tell? Will looked at her with the sad, confused, dumb expression of a hound kicked by its master. <laughs> like he couldn't comprehend why his provincial charm wasn't reaching her. Because you shot me, Chas finished. And I never shot back. So stop clinging <laughs> to me. She thought and went to find other drinking partners. Better drinking partners. Drinking partners lacking the self-involvement seemingly possessed by every human. On a ship full of soldiers, there had to be someone. So what's the story between you two? Nath asked. Will sat beside the hulk of a man on a couch worn through its metal frame, illuminated by the glow of a sign that said, Ranji's Great Hut. (laughs) The sign- Ranji. (laughs) Ranji. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> the what sign's, a name. The sign's meaning wasn't clear to Will, but it wasn't the only mysterious object in the suite that had, Nath claimed, once been the shipboard home of the Old Republic Senator from Malastare. Over two dozen pilots were packed into three rooms, most of them out of uniform. A line snaked across the suites to the makeshift bar in the restroom. Me and Chess? Will asked. You and Chess? You put a bounty on our pit? Sleep with her boyfriend? She hates you, brother, and you've got to know why. She doesn't hate me. She barely knows me. He sipped at his drink, mostly foam and water, and wondered how much to share with Nath Tencent. Will was trusting by nature, but he wasn't naive? And Nath's interest felt <laughs> hmm, more manipulative <laughs> than empathetic. 
<laughs> yeah, Nath was part of the squadron now, and he re and he deserved a fair shake. Will managed a tight smile. We served together on the dare, but different squadrons. What happened at the end, she blames me for leaving the others behind. And for shooting her? Nath asked. It was a bad day all around. Will said. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> That's... There's some bonding there. It's beautiful. <laughs> Will and Nath's friendship becomes a highlight for me. It really does. I love... I, I didn't love Nath the first time I read this book, but upon a reread, I really love him now. Mm. He's real... He's trying his best to help the kids. He does. He just also wants to help himself, which I think is fair. Yeah, yeah. So as they're talking about this, cheers fill the room at the news of the Republic liberating Kirkoidia. Nath toasts to that and Will can't find any sarcasm in the act. Will has been out of touch for the Rebellion for a while and missed Operation Cinder happening. He got to ride the victory feeling a lot longer than many of the other rebels. Everyone's worn out and the Rebellion is going to have to go on the offensive at some point, Nath figures. He's feeling pretty philosophical these days. But whatever is going on in the galaxy, the squadron is taking on Shadow Wing with or without him, and he'd much rather he was along for the ride. They finish up their drinks and go to check on Will's A-Wing, running into T5 on the way. T5, Will embraces T5. the droid. T5! Will loves the droid and he embraces it and chats with it, and Nath is like, don't patronize the old bastard. They spend the night wandering the ship and talking, and it's the first time Will has really talked to anyone since Oridol. He's been avoiding talking to the crew of the Lodestar after losing his squadron, and he doesn't <laughs> want to lose more people. That's not... Will, baby boy. Oh, buddy. You can't... You can't stop yourself from getting hurt again. He's gonna try. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. <laughs> As they're wrapping up for the night, Nath asks if the sim of the Battle of Endor had bothered Will. It had, but he figured it didn't mean anything from Yurika. Nath is cynical, but Will is optimistic. Hmm. As per usual. He promises to keep <laughs> Alpha <Alphabet> Squadron. <laughs> he promises to keep an eye out for Chess and Nath. And he also says something about Kairos, but I can't remember what. <laughs> Probably Kairos is Kairos. So. Kairos is Kairos. <laughs> Yurika covers for Chess not being at a briefing, ostensibly to cover her own ass, but come on, she's protecting her kids from the higher ups. They have as few as three weeks to repair for a strike on Pandem Nye. Everyone keeps asking her darn questions, and he keeps on having to defer to Yurika because he doesn't know shit. And he's mad about that. He places the blame on Yurika for not having the squadron together yet, and he's not totally wrong. She goes looking for Chess after because she's real mad and she's taken out somewhere. She refuses to talk to the other Lodestar pilots because she's heard them sneer about the alphabet's worth of ships. Okay, hang on, since when does the in-universe alphabet have <laughs> letters like this? It's fine. I, I'm not going to go into this. I mean... That's just a question that'll never be answered. <laughs> I know her, but it makes me mad every it's time. It's one of those Star Wars mysteries. <sighs> it really is. Basically, she doesn't want to ruin Alphabet's reputation more by talking to people and screwing that up. That poor girl. She channels her frustration at the briefing into her anger at Chas for wagging it. She finds the missing pilot at the bedside of an injured man alongside a couple other Spec Force people. Wait. Turns out Chas... Wait, 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 wait. For wagging? Is that not a is that not a thing there? Does that mean like playing hooky? Yeah. Okay. Wag you wag off. You wag off school. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to some more New Zealand slang. <laughs> Alright, continue. 
I just wagging. Yeah. All right. Because like <laughs> wagging's a good thing. Because dogs, their tails wag, and it's when I they're like happy thing. and stuff. I wagged school to get pancakes once. It's okay, great. you got. Okay, we're gonna we're done saying. Yeah, wag. We, we gotta we gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta. Okay, stop but can it. we hear the story about how you wagged school to get pancakes? I mean, my best friend was like, let's let's. Let's, let's wag. <laughs> let's let's okay. wag fabric class and go get pancakes at McDonald's. And I was like, okay. And we did that. And then the teacher didn't even let's realize wag. that we were let's gone. Let's wag it. I'm just imagining the two of you at school and, and your friend saying, let's wag. And then you two put on sunglasses and like pull out of the parking lot in your sports car. <laughs> oh, yes. So if only we could have driven back then. Unfortunately, we'd not have licenses. <laughs> but we basically did that, yeah. We were that cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's why we went to McDonald's to get pancakes. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah. turns out Chess volunteered just as cool as me and my friend. She volunteered on a mission that was short of pilot uh, for the Spec Force people. Yurika warns her that in the Empire, she'd have been shot for treason. But this ain't the Empire, baby. In fact, the Empire lost. Chess asks if anything actually important happened at the meeting or if they're all just still stuck in their thumbs. And Yurika, despite priding herself on her calm, snaps and pushes Chess up against a wall. She yells that Chess is only alive because of her work, and if she says Chess should suck her thumb, then she'll damn well do it. The Speak Force folks pull Yurika back, saying that Chess saved the hospitalized guy's life. Chess wants to know if she's been kicked out of the team. She doesn't really seem to care much. Chess, like, not being interested in going to meetings is very relatable. Oh, it's so relatable. I mean, she wouldn't have saved a guy's life instead. That should be uh, rewarded, not punished. Yurika, still feeling like she's failing your squadron, tells Chess that there will be no more unauthorized flights. Chess salutes her sarcastically, and Yurika ollies out, determined to find a mission for her team. She ollies. (laughs) She ollies out. She's also she feeling all, like... Does she ollie out to wag? <laughs> she, she, Yuriko would never wag, Danny. <laughs> oh, okay. So wait, is ollieing out when people know that you're doing it? No, ollieing out is just like getting the hell out of there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but wag is getting the hell out of there with no one noticing. No, wagging is just <laughs> playing hooky. Ollieing out isn't that at all. Oh, uh, wagging is not showing up in the first place. Happening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. <laughs> Erica is also like somewhat jealous that Chess had a team to fly with, and uh, that's sad. Nath can tell right away that Erica is fatigued as fuck. She's so damn desperate to prove herself that she's burning out. Nath isn't sympathetic though. He was a rebel for years, and she's still proving she's she isn't an imperial spy. But he doesn't want her to fall apart because she's his best shot at getting to Shadowing. He's put everything on the line for that chance. Not that he's going to show it like her. Mm. He's been spending his free time working too, studying Shadowing and making notes. He misses his own quarters where he could meditate uninterrupted. Oh my god, I love him. I bet he does yoga. But daytime belongs to Yurika, his Y-Wing, and his droid, who's taking a shine to Ragnell and whose memory he can't wipe because of Carpin scoring. And in my opinion, he's just using that as an excuse not to. He 100% uses that excuse. He's a softie on the inside. And my headcanon is that he's a plus 15 years older Jason Momoa. So, yeah. Oh, yeah I guess hell that. yeah, he does yoga. I see that. My headcanon is him. He's he's the drifter from Destiny, um, which I'm slowly affecting people with because that guy's his brother and sister as well. I video games. Yeah, but you should look at a video of him because he's great. He's so good. He's got good energy. Um, 
He's got good drifter energy. <laughs> but anyways, Nath absolutely does yoga. It's canon now, in my opinion. Thanks, Alex Freed. Thanks. On the Lodestar, he puts in work and gets to know the crew. He makes contact with the small-time crooks, but he's staying clean for now. Still, his first priority is investing time in the squadron. He thinks he can get Will and Chas to stop killing each other, but also as allies against Yurika and Adan. Hmm. You know. Yurika had tried to convince him to get vengeance for Rika, whom he'd lusted after, Peter, who was basically raised by him, and the rest of his previous squadron. He'd refused because, and this is a quote, justice was the vice of bold, honorable men who died swift, stupid deaths. He's controlled his vices to avoid stupid deaths, and also he's not a bold, honorable man. But he's got a better offer from Adan via Kairos, and that's why he's actually here. Not that Eureka knows, and he doesn't plan on her finding out. And we don't know either. We don't know either. Uh, we will keep, one day, maybe. Keep your secrets, Nath Tenzin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't All right, know then. Them. Keep your secrets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Nath Tenzin said, never mind. <laughs> never mind. You're, no, Will's like, what's a duck? And Nath's like, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Will wouldn't know what a duck is. Pure baby boy. Sweet baby. <laughs> we don't have ducks on home. Aw. Yurik has called a meeting and none of them are sure why they're there. I want to point out that Nat's hand is described as meaty. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out. You can that tell out. I wrote these notes when I was really tired. <laughs> He puts his meaty hand on Will's shoulder. Anyways, Will shares <laughs> <laughs> then Elder back like home. <laughs> I like it a lot. Mick loves it. I love it. What what does that mean, do you think? A meaty hand. He's got thick, big hands. Thick and strong. Thick and okay. strong hands. A big yeah. boy. He's a like that, muscular fingers. Those are big boy hands. <laughs> have you Danny, have you like seen the hands of a big man? <laughs> I am extremely uncomfortable answering this question. <laughs> oh my god. What? what? Look at Jason Momoa's hands, okay? They're meaty. Okay. Oh my god. Danny, have you ever seen the hands of a big man? <laughs> Is when Rogue Potter officially jumps the shark, just FYI. <laughs> What does it even mean, Rogue Podron jumping the shark? What can we do to... What is that you, for us? We Actually, just did it. It just happened. Season three. <laughs> oh, yeah. I that... thought this was season three. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <sighs> All right. I'm so sorry for doing that. <laughs> That's okay. We'll share some. Do we, do we have any more analysis of the meaty hands that we want to get out of our system? I did just nope, Google meaty hands and I don't definitely like don't. <laughs> oh, what'd you come up with? <laughs> it's not good. There's some freaky hands in there. <laughs> Who could have guessed that? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> well, she is that an elder back home could see the future but unfortunately he doesn't have that gift so he doesn't know what the meeting's about <laughs> i love will thanks will 
<laughs> Nath wants to know more about this home because it sounds weird. So do I, Nath. Yurika enters with Adan and General Sandula. They're either in for a very good time or a very bad time. <laughs> <laughs> a Star Wars story. <laughs> Hera tells Yurika to go ahead. They've been authorized for non-combat missions. Yay! Recon and asset extraction. Yay. Yurika brings up a PowerPoint about Operation Cinder. As awful as Cinder was, very awful, it gave the rebels good intelligence on the fractured empire. Anyone who participated in Cinder and is still around is an absolute loyalist, and the 204th is clearly going to be sharing its resources with other loyalists. Abednego was barely safe from Cinder, and there are signs that Imperials may still be hanging around there, so Alphabet is going to go and visit and see if that's true. Abednego! So happy for that. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. <laughs> I'm I'm always here for Abenito world building because I do not understand that planet. <laughs> neither, neither. Yurika had basically dug out the Abenito transmission and pulled together something resembling a useful mission for the sake of holding a squadron together. She wasn't really going off much, but she needs something. She also done it for her sake because she'd felt longing when she found out Chess had gone off with another team. This plan probably won't work and everyone knows it. She leaves Will and Nath to patrol in orbit over Abednego and heads down to Nisharino with Chess and Kairos. Girl time! Yeah! The Abednego live in cities carved into stone and Nisharino is beautiful to Erica in, a, in an alien way. Honestly, Nisharino sounds rad as hell. Um, just read the book. It sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yurika asks Chess what she's wearing, and Chess is like, clothes? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, girl time is going great. It's It's going great. So good. Girl time with Chess and Kairos. (laughs) (laughs) Look, that sounds like a good girl time to me. Yurika thinks they're more likely to get what they need if they're dressed like New Republic pirates. Keep dreaming, girl. Chess reminds her of someone, but she cuts off her own thought. Is it someone she was gay for, perhaps? Um, Abenito, Who isn't, to be honest? Yeah. It's, yeah. Abenito has been scarred by Cinder. Yurika sees a memor- memorial and is reminded of the memorial to the people aboard the Death Star on the Pursuer. Not really a fair analogy, but okay, Yurika. They head into the House of Strangers, the part of Nishirino reserved for non Abenito people, and wait amongst the pas- passageways for Yurika's contact. Okay, Ever? can we just talk about how they have a, a like an embassy basically for non Abenito, but it's called the House of Strangers. I, I mean, they are strangers, aren't they? It sounds haunted. It right, does it sound very haunted. haunted. <laughs> like there are there are bodies in there. Haunted, but not Abenito bodies. Nope, no stranger bodies. Those are elsewhere. A verpine with a translator approaches them, and she can hardly understand it. Hang on, I can't remember what a verpine is. I'm just going to quickly look this up. They're little... Because I feel like they're creepy. No, they're Oh, they're great. creepy bug guys. Excuse me. Aren't they the ones that climb into trees and scream? No, those are ray tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Verpines are really good mechanics, like wedges. Oh, yeah, they are. The, the rogues is, like, head mechanic is a verpine. Oh, yeah. But verpine is, like, a legend, legends thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, but now it's the, canon. Is this the first time it got brought over? I'm not sure. I haven't read enough of the books to say yes or no. Mm. I, will I look guarantee one of our listeners will tell us as soon as they hear me they say absolutely these words. Will. In canon, 
Uh, they're mentioned in Sabine Wren's journal. See. She says okay. Verpai and Coral arrangements. They don't sing, they just rub their legs together. Nice. Nice. <clears throat> um, yeah, so they oh, they were also in Empire's End, apparently. Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so Verpai and are bug guys who are good at mechanics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've lost my place. Let me just talk while I find it again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where is this verpine? There it is. A verpine with a translator approaches them, and she can hardly understand it. And the translator is like a com that's connected to a robot somewhere, a, a droid that translates. I don't know. She tells it to leave them alone, then suddenly realizes when it mentions Mission Ember, Ember that it's actually her contact, because Mission Ember is just... Operation Cinder. The Verpine wants money. Yurika has no freaking clue how to be a spy. Thankfully, Chas sees her hesitation and jumps in to ask what the contact has to offer them. The Verpine offers a sample of merchandise, which is a captured Stormtrooper. But wait, there's more! Yurika tells Chas to take the Stormtrooper back to Kairos in the U-Wing. Chas is like, mm, are you sure you don't need backup? This seems unwise. But Yurika wants him to get out with something, even if it puts her in danger. So Yurika... Follows the Verpine to see the more merchandise and tries to figure out where the Verpine found the Stormtrooper to begin with. And it slowly dawns on her that the Stormtrooper is being shown to her. We're trying to smuggle themselves off Abednego when Cinder failed and were instead sold out to the New Republic. She internally panics, her instincts telling her to shoot the Verpine for holding the Stormtroopers in basically slave conditions, and has to remind herself that she is the New Republic now. So instead, she asks the Verpine's price. On the way back to the Ewing, something triggers Chas's spider senses. She tells the Stormtrooper that they're going back, but he instead runs for it, and Chas has to run too when shooting starts. She grabs the Stormtrooper and uses him as a shield. They get to the, a marketplace in one piece, and the market goes scatter when a bunch of humans with Stormtrooper guns, E-11s, for Star Wars nerds I guess, surround her. <laughs> <laughs> you know they care. Someone will care. She lets off a couple shots of her own gun, a blaster with custom rounds filled with an acid that can dissolve anything. But she's only got a couple shots left and knows there's no way she can take them all down. There's suddenly a scream, and then another, and then she sees Kairos destroying the stormtroopers. Kairos moves through the blaster bolts, and Chas notices every body she leaves in her wake has blackened and bloodied heads. When Kairos (laughs) reaches her side, she cries to keep distance between them. I love Kairos. <laughs> Kairos is terrifying, Wreck and I love them. her. I want to know what she's. And I love. I, I love the opposite reaction reactions to Kairos, where Chas is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna keep a little bit of a distance," and Quell is just like, "Oh my god, punch me in the face!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you also burn my face off? <laughs> I want to know what's up with Kairos so much because this is so weird and You're so. Never, cool. We're never gonna find out. We better find out. We're not going to find cry. out. Alexander Free is just going to be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many capital T theories. Right. Just like, Ooh. uh, she has death hands and like, that'll be the end of it. <laughs> oh, she's got two hands. That's fair. I'll accept that, honestly, if that comes from him. <laughs> My main theory is that she's Natalie Portman. <laughs> so Natalie Anakin, Portman has death Anakin hands. is the Darth Vader that died on the Death Star mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And and now Natalie Portman's going like deep undercover to make sure that that story sells so that she can ensure that Operation Cinder goes according to plan. Hmm. How does she get death heads? I mean, Darth Vader definitely has death hands, so that's true. 
Is Nellie Portman a Sith? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Just, yep. <laughs> totally normal. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> she sure is. <laughs> So Chess finally thinks to update Yurika on them being followed and almost murdered. She's ordered to get the Stormtrooper on board the Ewing and get up to orbit. Chess is like, um, are you sure you don't want backup again because now it's even worse? And Yurika's like, no, I'm fine. It's fine. I'm fine. There's a song by the Front Bottoms where the line is, I'm fine, it's fine, I'm fine. And I feel like that that song is about Yurika. (laughs) She's not. Bless you. Yeah, what was that? It was a cough. (laughs) Oh, I take back the blessing then? I don't oh, know. okay. <laughs> Unbless you. <laughs> if it, your soul's not escaping your body. You don't need it. It's fine. My soul's already left my body. <laughs> <laughs> then I will never bless a sneeze again because it's too late. It's too late. That's so ominous. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god. This got so dark. <laughs> it left when you called me an idiot. <laughs> I never called you an idiot. <laughs> Are you that much of an idiot? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just like this episode, Chess can see that this is an obviously bad plan. <laughs> but an order's an order. Yep. And order. Why did I write that? Oh. Um, a minute, like, a, like seconds after the call from Chess, the cabin where Yurika and the Verpine are conducting business comes under fire. The Imperial shooting are clearly waiting for reinforcements um, while holding them back and Yurika has someone ask now and she's like no no you'll know when um I think it's the Verpine asking now I don't know then there's the roar of an engine and her x-wing arrives thanks d6 she runs for the fighter yelling now which like okay of course they'll know when if you're literally yelling it for them um just telling them they'll know when when she's gonna t- I don't it's fine Yurika it's fine she jumps into the x-wing she observes the desperate Imperial forces for a moment until one of them pulls out a rocket launcher and she takes them out. The moment he gets a signal from Chess, Will is on his way to intercept and help. So much for non-combat. He slows down to net- let Nath catch up. Because Nath is in a Y-Wing and it's slow. Chess calls out three dupes and Nath is genuinely surprised they're sending out bombers, but they think that maybe that's all they have left. Will doesn't intend on losing Chess or Kairos today. But not Nath, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's about to start shooting when Yurika calls, asking where the hell they are because they're not in orbit. He asks if she wants him to turn around, but she's like, nah, never mind. She's going to get the freighter with the verpine and the merchandise to hyperspace, then come back to help them. They do well to take out two dupes, but the other one gets away. Yurika says she'll intercept, but tells Will to try and catch up to it first. It's accelerating way too fast and he can't catch it. He realizes too late what the dupe is planning. It speeds past Yurika and slams right into the freighter, destroying both ships. Yurika barely notices the security force that meets him in the hangar to take away the prisoner. She summons her team and starts doling out blame. Chess is sick of that blame. Yurika could not could have not split them up to begin with, could have paid attention to the comms, and done a lot more. Yurika loses her temper for a moment. They all screwed up and people died because of it. Nath tries to point out that they got one prisoner out of it, and Adan jumps in like, NOT SO FAST! Because apparently nobody can have a good day. It's only a win if we can get something out of him. He's digging into them and Yurika can't stop shaking. She tells him to stop. She defends the squadron. They don't have the training. They don't have a good leader. They don't have anything. He starts yelling at her and she punches him in the guts. I feel like Adana's just like waiting behind 
columns and walls and things ready to like jump out and correct people. That's what intelligence yeah. officers do. That's <laughs> literally their job. <sighs> After punching him, she storms out to go throw up because she is mad and sick. This wasn't why she joined the rebellion. She's sick of bloodshed. She'd wanted to stop killing and do something worthwhile. She remembers Keyes' words to her long ago. War is always monstrous, but that doesn't make us monsters. Well, Cinder happened and he participated in that, so maybe the words aren't so reassuring after all. Dan is venting at Ido about Yurika hitting him. Ido's like, yes, that's bad, but did you deserve it? Mm. <laughs> Adan denies it, but we all know he did. Ido suggests removing her from duty, but Adan admits that as much as he wants her gone, she's his only choice, really. Shadowing is too important, but he's going to call in favors to try and find the truth about her to try and control her with it. Ido takes a moment, then asks Adan if Adan would prefer the droid interrogate the prisoner instead. Adan refuses. He's kind of scared of what would happen if he ever said yes when Ido offered its services in that way. He'd seen many different Imperial prisons over his career. Spoiler alert, they all sucked. Mm Mm-hmm. He had actually been in one of those prisons. He'd been writing financial articles when he was imprisoned for 27 months for no real reason. He drank way more now, and he has phobias now. He'd been radicalized by the experience and also met Kairos and Ito there. What a trio. He thinks about this on the way to interrogate the prisoner. He has strategies for this. He could have passed the job off to Ito, but Yurika hadn't been wrong when she'd said he'd been useless so far. He also needs to prove his worth. I am looking forward to the spin-off series detailing Adan, Kairos, and Ito's experiences together. Right? What a trip. I want to know more about that. That would be a great, like, short story to stick at the end of one of these books. Yes. Lucasfilm, please. Don't worry, please. Yurika is flying through the night in the simulation of a tie when Spectre Leader tells her to bring it in for a landing. She doesn't recognize the call sign, but she does recognize the voice. Hera Headquarter Alphabet Leader. They're officially stuck with the name now. Hera likes to walk with people when she talks. She tells Yurika that D6 even offered to resign after their botched mission. D6! D6 is trying to take the blame off Yurika's shoulders. Hera asks if Yurika knows how many people died aboard the freighter, and she does. That's good because it means she's taking it seriously. Yurika's new to the job, and she's young, and she'll learn from her mistakes. But even if she had seen the attack coming, the mission would have failed anyway. Yurika thinks that Hera's going to say she's incompetent, but no. It's because Yurika inspected her team to fly like Imperials. Yurika kind of wants to argue, but there's something to be said about how the Empire values squadrons, while the Rebels value pilots. They enter the hangar and find Ragnar working in the dimmed lights. It's nighttime for the crew. Hera and Yurika walk past Starfighters, painted custom colors. The Empire would never allow custom paint jobs. Ragnar's got more talents than just fixing ships. She tattoos and paints too. Hera asks how well Yurika knows her people, and the answer is not well. She then asks, will they fight for Yurika? Do they know Yurika will fight for them? But she has no answer to that. Hera's got an assignment for them. The rebels weren't ready to win the war, and they need resources. Resources that Alphabet is using up. So they're being assigned to stripping an old rebel supply cache and bringing everything back. It's not a bad punishment, really. There's an awkward moment where they basically say bye, then walk the same direction. <laughs> so relatable. Yurika's like, ah, this is the worst. So relatable. so relatable. I hate when that happens. <laughs> they happened to me the other day and it was the worst. Yurika asks Hera if the cost of being a soldier for so long is worth it. Hera says, look around you, Yurika. The answer's all over. And she doesn't get it. Mm. She will one day, though. Maybe. Hopefully. Mm. Hopefully. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Yurika's real dumb. Yeah, she doesn't She's... tend to get things. Yeah. yeah. Like, even, even when it. you just tell her, she's still like, mm, can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's... <laughs> not sure about that. Alphabet arrives at a nameless moon in a system named after an ancient astronomer who probably thought he found something cool. Spoiler, he had not. <laughs> Neth... <laughs> So it goes. <laughs> so it goes. Welcome to science. Realistic astronomy. Neth has been spending his time since Abednedo buying drinks for Meteor and Hail Squadrons, who are en route to combat at Argai Minor. A pilot described it to Neth as the Citadel from Darth Vader's schoolyard sketchbook, and I think that's beautiful. Young Neth had loved to fight, but present Neth is more fond of breathing, so he's not too bummed about missing out on the Argai fight. He's not so sure about the punishment mission, though. T5 doesn't seem psyched either when it sends an obscene message to Nath. <laughs> I love T5. The moon is lush with trees, and Nath is once more surprised by the beauty of the forests, of forests in general, since he didn't grow up with them. Something in common with Ray. Maybe he's her dad. Maybe. <laughs> they have to land on a mountain Ray top. Tencent? Ray Tencent. Ray Tencent. Hashtag reticent. Re- it kind of, if you say it fast enough, it sounds like reticent, which is a word that you could use to describe Ray. Reticent. Reticent. <laughs> There's a new theory for you all. <laughs> you heard it here first, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we cracked it. Yeah, and we you'll only hear it here. Who? <laughs> <laughs> they have to land on a mountaintop and hike down to the Rebel Cache because there's no space for them to land down there. While they prepare for the hike, Nath catches Will chatting with D6 and T5. Will's best boy. Will is the best boy. Nath wanders up to walk with Yurika and offers her a drink. She says she's got a canteen, and he doesn't he doesn't explain that he meant a drink drink <laughs> with his little like flask in his jacket pocket. He says he's sorry for how things went down and he's glad the higher ups weren't too hard on Yurika. He finds that she's growing on him. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem reciprocated. He points out that he's only here because of Shadowwing, and if they can't get the two or fourth, there is one Shadowwing pilot in view. Yurika says she'll keep that in mind. But really, he's not here for vengeance. Kairos had approached him with a recording from Adan promising a lot of money as long as Nath works as Adan's personal agent. Turns out he doesn't want vengeance, but he does want money. He's committed now. He doesn't want to let down his crew by actually failing to take down Shadowwing. His dead crew, now. Um, He doesn't really care about letting Adan down, though. (laughs) Which is fine. Chess is miserable. She hates the cold and the smells and the shitty company. She works up the courage to go talk to Kairos, thanking her for saving her life on Abednedo, despite freaking her the hell out. Kairos simply bows her head in reply, and Chess is like, you're weird. You're real weird. Kairos gonna Kairos. Kairos gonna Kairos. Darkness descends and they make camp. They eat nutrient bars dipped in citrus chemical nutrient paste in silence. Will remembers Satanique and Riot Squadron, because it's so different now. He needs to hear her voice. used to have fun. Yeah, I used to like these people. <laughs> he needs to hear a voice, like any voice, so he starts talking with Nath. Will doesn't talk much, simply pulling stories from Nath. He tries to get a story out of Yurika, but she doesn't crack. Nath prods him to talk about his home. So we get Will's story. Yeah. Polinius, home, was lucky in that it was never a strategic planet for the Republic and seemed too backwater and primitive for the Separatists. They weren't primitive, but they were selective about what they allowed onto their planet. They lived with the planet, using technological solutions when their needs would hurt the planet or its creatures. The kids who grew up 
grew up there in communal living, moving around homes and being the children of the whole village. So they're basically Ithorians. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. When he turned 12, the Empire decided to build a weapons platform. Not when the Empire... Well, not. I was like, the Emperor turned 12. That's when he decided to do that. Um, when World turns 12, the Empire decided to build a weapons platform in low ammo. It began to pollute the planet, and the Empire didn't do anything about it, despite Polinius being like, please help. The biosphere began to die, and the elders knew they needed the rebellion's help. Polinius offered the best pilot from each community to fight with the rebels until Polinius was free. Thus, Will became one of the 120, vowing not to return until the Empire was defeated. He doesn't tell the others how much he misses home, and how tired he is of the galaxy. The next morning, they silently continue their hike to the supply cache. Will's expecting a bunker, but instead they find a strange structure that seems to be made out of an entire unbroken massive piece of petrified wood. Chess laughs and runs over to it in joy, and Nath is pretty sure it's a gem- Jedi temple. Inside, Cairo stands in the center of the main chamber, looking right up into a shaft of sunlight. Nath is touching the walls, and Chess curls up in one of the root spokes. She's shaking, so Will asks if she's okay. It's beautiful, she says, and she's not used to thinking of cults as beautiful. They finally find a cache under a panel in the main chamber. It's slow work to get everything out of the cellar and load it onto the sleds. As they work, Eureka asks Nath how he knew it was a Jedi temple. He explains that she got the second revision of the Clone Wars history. Mm. Palps had slowly been erasing the Jedi from history. He'd grown up... Nath had grown up hearing that the Jedi tried to murder Palps before he became Emperor to take control. Eureka had grown up hearing that there'd never even been that many Jedi, and that they were mostly forgotten ancient relics. In reality, though, there were thousands of them, and they were important during the Republic's time. Nath is like, you learn a lot when you join the Rebels. Yurika asks how he knows that isn't just propaganda, and honestly, he can't know for sure. That's the problem with the Empire revising history, is everything leaves him doubting now. She asks if the New Republic is going to bring back the Jedi, and if they'll live under a theocracy. He's like, nah, sister, there's no big Jedi conspiracy here, you haven't found anything. They're still going by nightfall, so Yurika calls for them to make camp again. They don't stay in the temple, because that feels wrong. It takes a while for everyone to notice Kyra standing at the edge of the group, staring at them. She walks into the light, and Yurika is of course ready to jump to help her, asking what's wrong. Kyra gathers a pile of dust and begins to draw with lines of it. Will gets it straight away. She's telling them her story. Kairos' story. I honestly don't know what to make of this, so I'm just going to read it. Okay, apparently I'm reading this. I did Thanks not understand me. it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to read this because it's wild. Yeah. While you're looking looking it up, the the way that she told it reminded me of I think it's Ice Age, the movie where they learn like <laughs> the tragic backstory of one of the characters by watching like cave paintings. Oh yeah, that's true. Does that anyone know? Anyone know what I'm talking about here? I, have not seen I absolutely Ice Age. do, and I'm nope. Okay, <laughs> I do. Great, and I hate that I do. It's like yeah, it's like the woolly mammoth has like he's like quiet and reserved. It, it's Ray Romano, so of course he is like quiet and reserved <laughs> all the way throughout. <laughs> the movie and then they like go to this cave and there's like this painting and it like tells this the backstory about how he was hunted by humans and he lost his wife or something i don't know anyways have you found the page yet saf i did okay great (laughs) (laughs) i'll stop stalling for you then thank you this is the story she told great spirals and a hundred moats portraying the galaxy all swept into a mound of dust in the outer rim from the mound comes the next image a fire a bowl an endless horizon a simple life on a world far from the core. A star destroyer in the sky. A cloaked figure walking below. A dozen quick slashes through the dust create a storm of blaster bolts, disrupting the simple life. A series of images more difficult to s- decipher. More stars, perhaps. 
a circle with a cord cutting between points of the circumference, a dozen little squares, little boxes, a humanoid figure constantly shaped and reshaped, artistically adjusted, until it becomes clear that the changes are not the refinement of the artist, of Kairos, but an aspect of the art itself, a humanoid changing. The box is aflame, the changing figure aflame, the circle with the cord on one side, and the starboard symbol of the Rebel Alliance on the other, the changing figure, no longer changing, standing amid ashes and bones. There the story ended. Kyra swept away the dust and stepped back, settling, setting herself far from the group. It was beautiful and disturbing. Quell was trembling, Will was watching Kairos, Chas was staring into the dust. Nat suspected they'd all read what they wanted into the tale. He wondered how much of it was truth. I have no clue what any of that freaking means. But it's very cool. So it kind of sounds like she was living in a very oppressive world and she was rescued by the Rebel Alliance or like she like it sounds like the Emperor got to her first. Right. Not the Emperor, but the Empire. Right. Like, there's a shadowed... Wait, there's a cloaked figure under the Death Star? Yes, under the Star Destroyer. Is that the Emperor? Is right, that so that's like the Empire. Emperor? I mean, like, a simple version of the story is that, like, she was on an oppressed world, and then she found freedom in the Rebel Alliance. And not only did she find freedom from the oppression of the Empire, but she found the freedom to learn who she truly was herself. And who she truly is herself is a scary, silent monster who is always standing right off to the side. Yes. The truth of herself is that she is just Kairos. Right. Kairos is Kairos. <laughs> so eventually they all fall asleep, and Yurika is woken by a sonic boom above the forest. D6 transmits the image of a single scout- ship scouting over the moon. Yurika tells everyone to continue loading supplies. She'll head back to the ships in case she needs to launch. She doesn't say that she also wants to leave them to do their own thing. She's noticed them growing closer over the past day, though she doesn't understand why. She just knows it's important. And she doesn't think she can be part of that, which is really sad. But if she can take out an enemy to help the squadron, that's a plus. In the dark, on the way I really like that whole, like, they're growing closer. I don't understand why. <laughs> yes. How do how do people? What do people if do I this? remove myself completely? <laughs> That'll make it easier for everyone. Oh, Erica. No, stay. Talk to them. Talk to them. On the way back to the ships, she sees people dying at, at Abednego and the Emperor in the shadows. There are, thankfully, no more signs of danger the rest of the night. Chas is surprisingly thankful. She's enjoying the work at the temple. Nath cooks up breakfast for them like the camp dad he is. Mm-hmm. Yurika doesn't return and they have to camp another night. Chas grabs Nath's flak, flask. Oh god, that sentence is the worst. <laughs> Chas grabs Nath's flask. <laughs> Say that. That is the perfect tongue twister. Chas grabs Nath's flask. Didn't expect that to be so hard. And whatever he's drinking is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Now Nath prods Chas for her story. She doesn't want to be too scared to do it because Will did it, so she picks a story she thinks is right for them. Chas's story. She starts with Jin Erso. She'd met her once. She'd stolen a coat during a rough time in her life and run into a big chevin, whatever that is, and his complement of thugs doing business with a human woman. He'd grabbed Chas and was going to put a shock collar on her when the woman took the distracted thugs out. She doesn't know why Jin helped her, but she knew she was the most amazing person she'd ever meet. Gay. Chas doesn't tell them <laughs> that the name the woman had given was Leanna Halleck, which if you've watched Rogue One, you know that that's an alias that Jin uses. She hadn't realized until years later who the woman had actually been when she'd stolen a bunch of banned holovids. There was a rebel propaganda video with Jin giving a speech to the rebels about the Death Star right before going to Scarif. She'd been inspired by Jin. If that woman could do it, so could Chas. So basically, Chas watched Rogue One. 
Jess yes. watched Rogue One and was in love with Jin, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Who, who among yeah. us? Yeah. <laughs> who was inspired by Rogue One? I know I am. They're all woken the next morning by a sound like a ringing gong. They follow Kairos into the temple. In the dark, millions of light motes drift about the interior of the temple. It's the galaxy as it was, turning into the galaxy as it became. Dawn comes, and the stars disappear as the sun fills the temple. Only the four of them are left, and Will announces that that is the galaxy as it is. On the way back to the ships with all the stuff, Chas actually talks to Will. He's glad she told them her story. She tells him that he can't take away her choice again like he did at the dare. He gets it, though she's not actually sure he does. She has his back, he has hers. They're together in this fight. Eureka hasn't slept much. She's been alternating watches with D6. T5 didn't volunteer, so she didn't ask because she respects droid rights. She didn't know what to say to D6 about it offering to resign after Abednego, but she's going to try. She tells it that it's done well, and she's grateful. In response, it lets a dignified buzz and rolls away to whistle softly to itself. I just, I, this whole thing made me so emotional I had to put down the book. Because <laughs> I, it's so cute that she's like, I'm proud of you. And the droid's like, oh, she's proud of me and has to go away to be by itself for a while to like t- process that. I love it Ugh. so much. I love D6 D6 so much. is the best droid. D6 is such a good droid. Thank you, Alex Freed, for all this great droid content. An hour later, the rest of the team arrives. She feels pride at seeing how well they've gotten along, but she's also frustrated and bitter at not being part of it. They pack the supplies. <laughs> mm, and- I <laughs> yeah. wonder how you could have fixed this. Oh, you idiot. <laughs> please, please just talk to your kids. They pack all the supplies into the U-Wing and finally get ready to head off. The ship from the previous night had jumped away overnight, I guess. Will decides to check the U-Wing one last time. He lets Kairos know she's all good to go, but she's actually not on the ship. He goes looking for her and finds her a few meters down the trail, staring in the direction of the temple. He makes noises as he approaches her so he doesn't surprise her because he is a very good boy. Also because he probably thinks that if he surprises her, he will be dead. That's possibly also. But I like to think that he always makes noises while approaching women from behind so he doesn't surprise him oh okay that's a good interpretation yeah but also probably because he is she's gonna kill him (laughs) (laughs) kairos is kairos after all yep kairos speaks her voice low wet and guttural she says his name then tells him the emperor's shadow is long then she heads back to the ship will feels a chill great great cool (laughs) thanks kairos real real ominous They rendezvous with the Lodestar, and Eureka sees the scars of battle on the fleet. Hera meets him upon arrival and smiles at seeing the team coming together. Hera hints that Eureka should have been with her team to see the galaxy in the temple, then says they have a new mission. Hera's trying so hard to get Eureka to connect with his team, and Eureka's like, what? I don't understand. I will separate myself. Like, no. (laughs) More salvage. Their job is to patrol around the ruined Trine House Citadel to hold off any imps so a salvage team can collect data from the wreckage. Easy! Except it doesn't take long for something to go wrong. The salvage team's estimate of two hours gets up to 16, which means Yurika has to adjust her patrol patterns. She doesn't trust her pilots to coordinate properly, but she has to let them try. She tells them to trust her instincts, because she's trying to treat them like rebels. They fend off ties without much trouble and return home with the data. Their next mission is to intercept a cargo vessel believed to have been resupplied at Pandem Night. At first it goes well. Yurika gets the captain's surrender, then someone kills the captain, takes control, and the ship open fires. Which I'm surprised doesn't happen more often when Imperial ships surrender. Will accidentally clips an oxygen generator and they have to evacuate the entire ship and tow the escape pods. Will. <laughs> Everything just goes wrong that can go wrong. Will. 
Yurika goes looking for Will after the debrief and finds him drinking with Nath, the two alphabet droids at his side. She retreats silently. She's happy to see her pilots getting along well, but she still feels bitter. Erica, come on. (laughs) (laughs) She thinks Keyes would be disappointed in her for being so needy. No, he'd be disappointed in you for not acting on your needs. I wish Keyes was here to tell her what to do. I feel like this part was just like a hundred pages of Erica being like, oh, my team is bonding. I wish I could be a part of that. But... Alas, there's literally nothing I can do. I think part of it is also because she's raised Imperial, and Imperial officers were always separate from their teams. Like, right. the higher-ups wouldn't have been, had the same camaraderie with the team, so she feels like she has to be above them so she can lead them properly, but she also wants to be part of that. I think she hasn't quite clicked that that's not how the Rebels work. But also I think she thinks if um, she tries to join the team like as a friend, like become friendly with the team, she'll just ruin everything and make it worse, which is incredibly sad. Yeah, also kind of relatable. Also very relatable, yeah. Yurika is an extremely relatable protagonist. Yeah, as much as we're like yelling at her. It's because we yell at ourselves. Yep. <laughs> yep. At therapy with Ido, the droid assumes her relationship with Adan is improving because she hasn't punched him again yet. Um, really, he's just stepped back to let Kara give orders. He's still in control of Yurika's fate, though. She's going to have to make peace with him eventually. Ido therapies her, pointing out that she tends to view one step of progress as victory and doesn't see the point in taking another one. She doesn't see the point in listening to it and engaging with it during sessions, which is exactly what Ido is saying right now. (laughs) She thinks Ido is wrong because she's spending all her time dwelling on her squadron. She wants to bomb with them. She goes and picks a fight with Ragnell to deal with her emotions, I guess, and loses. They triage the squadron's needs together, and after, Yurika asks for a favor. Nath is awoken at a stupid hour with orders to head to the hangar. Everyone is dead tired, except maybe Kairos. Yurika orders them to give their ships a good walk around. They discover that their ships have been scrubbed and polished and painted with a crest, which is their five ships with the banner of Alphabet Squadron. Yurika has another thing to show them. She rolls up her sleeve to reveal a tattoo of the very same crest. She's done well. Yeah. Adan is frustrated. I think it's like, it's a cute gesture. It is. It's very cute. But also, like, if someone paints my stuff without asking me, I'd be really mad. <laughs> <laughs> I like, um, in this, Kairos, like, walks up and, like, touches it, like, mm-hmm. really enthralled by it. And I'm just like, what is Kairos thinking? Anyways, Adan is frustrated that Hera's stealing his team. But is she, though? He's busy doing analysis. But it doesn't really matter that Adan and Ito know what they're contributing. Not if Hera gets the accolades for Alphabet's victories. Hmm. Not because he wants the attention, of course. Of course not. Because, of course not. Of course. Because, because, obviously because then the New Republic will think firepower is still more important than intelligence. Why Adan argues with a therapist is unknown to me because he always loses. Yep. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> but he has another choice. He finally got some info on Yurika. He shares the files with Ito, and yeah, apparently the info is inconsistent with her story. Hera's battle group has secured six systems and the New Republic wants it to move in on Pandem Nye. They don't have much time to find a weakness and make a plan. They have about three days, actually, uh, for Adan and Yurika to find a plan that works. It's a terrible plan, Hera thinks. It's a solid plan, is what she says. They all know it's reckless, but since we're in a rebel plan, it's anything but. They bring the rest of the squadron into the room, and Hera's so damn proud of helping to bring them together. The 204th has surrounded Pandem Nye with minefields and Pandem Night itself is surrounded in an atmosphere that will make heavy weapons backfire. Capital ships are not going to be useful, so it's going to be all about the Starfighters. They think the base of operations is an orbital station protected by the atmosphere. It's going to be heavily armed. 
Hera tells them it's voluntary for them to take on this mission, and obviously they're all going to. They all review the plan together and discuss it. After, she sees that drinks are on her. Will, Nath, and Chas join her. She notices how they've bonded, but also the places where they haven't. She wishes she could give them the eternity her crew had to bond, but she can't. I forgot about Devin, but he's back. Devin is trying to get reimbursement from the Harch, who is an alien called the Harch. Like, it's a royal title, even though it's the name of her species. Um, she's demanding receipts. Don't do that's how it works. If you want reimbursement, you need receipts. He has a recording as proof of the transaction, and that's good enough, she guesses. Rickton is relieved, and Devin reminds him that Rickton knew the Harch would want receipts, and he messed it up. Devin likes Rickton. He's 19 or 20, so he's still a kid, really, and he's hardworking and naive and arrogant all at once. Devin likes the Harch, too, even though she claims to have eaten human flesh once, though the person probably deserved it. Who hasn't? He actually likes his whole crew. Like, yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. He's ended up here. (laughs) (laughs) He's ended up here after floating around when he left Tinkertown. He's trying his best to leave his past behind him and start fresh, but things just keep happening. He hadn't intended to stay here long, but the Harch had offered him work and board, and he stuck around. Maybe this will be the place he can call home. Maybe not. He and Rickton spend the entire next day fixing an old ass ship owned by an even older ass woman, and they talk. Rickton is, is cagey. It grandma? Based. No, I think it's just a nice old oh, lady. She's an old. I think ass this woman. lady is older than Grandma. Rickton is cagey about his life before the Harch, but he doesn't seem like a terrible person. His grandfather had served the clone troopers, which taught him that what matters is heart, because everyone can all look the same, but inside they're all different. His granddad had died, and Rickton had left to find his fortune? Devin doesn't ask what that means. Rickton has a long trip planned. He avoids telling Devin where. Devin notices at the end of the job that Rickton lies about tossing out the old power pack. He pays more attention to Rickton after that. Rickton never steals anything from the Harch, just stuff that would end up being scrap. Devin knows it isn't his business, but he just can't let it go because he can never let anything go. Devin spends more time asking Rickton questions and trying to get the boy to see the value of finding a good crew. Knowing the boy doesn't understand, he goes to find the Harch. He asks to review the logs of Rickton's shipboard com because Rickton may have found trouble. The Harch is smart. Smarter than anyone gives her credit for. She asks if the Rickton trouble has anything to do with his service to the Empire. Devin hopes not, but it's pretty unlikely that a boy has two secrets at that age. After reading the logs, he confronts Rickton. He buys the kid breakfast to convince him to talk, which would work on me, honestly. He's trying to get Rickton to go join a mechanics guild. He wants to help him find a good place, but Rickton has other plans. Devon waits to see if Rickton will open up. Rickton had been an engineer in the Imperial Navy, training to be an officer. Half the crew of his ship had died at Endor, and then everyone split after that. Rickton was left alone. He tried to contact them, but didn't get much back. But Devon notices he got something back. Devon asks if that's why he's building the bomb. Rickton's like, how did you know that? And doesn't want to tell him. Doesn't want to tell him anything. <laughs> Smooth cover. <laughs> yeah, nice work, Rickton. And when Devin asks, he says he's not going to bomb anything here. He's not going to ruin anything to do with the Harch. Devin can't let it go until eventually Rickton admits it's for t- traitor's remorse. He suddenly understands. Rickton has been found by an Imperial loyalist who's getting the most vulnerable survivors to kill themselves for the Empire. He grabs Rickton and tells him that they need to talk. They talk all day. Four days. And then one day Rickton doesn't turn up for work. There's a letter in Devin's locker along with everything Rickton stole. The boy has gone off to join the place that Devin had recommended. The Harch asks if this is Devin's fault. The destination, sure, he'll accept that, but not Rickton leaving. The Harch decides that Devin's pay won't be docked and she won't peel his skin. Nice. 
good, great. He's leaving too, though, because it's best he keeps his distance from the shop in case he's some in trouble. The Harch has only been fair, and Devon doesn't want to cause problems for her or her crew. And she doesn't either, because she actually does care about her crew. She gives him a place she knows of to go to, and he says he'll consider it. And then, once again, he leaves. Boy, this Devon guy just keeps showing up at the end of these parts, doesn't he? Right? Maybe he's what? important wonder if that's important. Is he going to show up at the end of the third part? <sighs> Doubt it. I don't know. That's I should know, we'll but I don't. Yeah, I think that's the last time we'll ever see Devin. He's probably never going to get mentioned again. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> so that's part two of uh, Alphabet Squadron. So much bonding. Or so much inability bonding. to bond. <laughs> A bit of both. So much attempted bonding. <laughs> so much attempted bonding. <laughs> uh, speaking of attempted bonding, should we do listener questions? Yes. <laughs> Last time we asked you all, what is your favorite color of Erica Quell crayon? Did we answer this? We did not. We did not. God, I haven't thought about this since then. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to go with macaroni and cheese just because I think she deserves macaroni and cheese. Mm. I, I agree with that. I'm going to go with a... Uh, Awkward mustard. Because <laughs> I feel like the color mustard matches her. Um, and also she's incredibly awkward. Yes. I think blood of broken bith. Oh my god. Damn! Wow. Whoa. That's hardcore, Danny. Uh, have you met Erica Quell? She hardcore. Okay. She hardcore. I'm gonna say violent violet. Ooh. I dig that. All right. Brian said, broken bone white, subarachnoid hemorrhage purple. What? Silty guilt russet, and obviously Thai pilot obsidian. Ooh, I like Thai pilot obsidian. That's good. Still said, my favorite color of Erica Quell Cran is imperial bone after it's been gnawed on by an Ewok. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. Also mine. Yum. Unfortunately, on Endor, the crayons are much smaller than normal to fit Ewok hands, so there isn't room on the wrapper. So they are the same color as known as Bone Market Leftovers. Oh, that's extremely good. Bone Market Leftovers. I love it. Greg said you could draw a complete portrait of Erica Quell with Regret Mauve, Self-Destruction Tan, and Determination Gray. I, I like regret mauve. My skin color is self-destruction tan, so <laughs> I relate to this very much. <laughs> oh, no. Meg. Oh, no. I, oh. Meg. Meg. I'm going to go to bed after this. <laughs> when I'm out in the sun for a while, I guess I could turn self-destruction tan. I'm always self-destructing tan. Oh, gosh. It's a lie. I can't tan. I'm just a self-destructive yeah, I white. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't tan. Please. It's not a thing. Please. X-Wings in History said, Erica Quell's favorite crayon is Old Puss. Ugh. Ew. I hate that. Why would you say that, X-Wings? <laughs> I hate that. I hate it. <sighs> Odie said, Hut Slime Green, Pew Pew Red, My Soul Black. <laughs> I love Pew Pew Red. That's cute. 
Brian said my favorite color of Erica Coel crayon is obviously emerald. Straightforward. What? Very straightforward. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. <laughs> we have two Brian's. Yes. Yeah. This one was Brian Novicki. Who's the other one? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tom the Fanboy said my favorite Erica, <laughs> I can't, I don't even know how to say that, grand color is I'm Fine Fuchsia, which is actually a shade of light gray. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm Fine Fuchsia. Oh, that's good. I like that. Okay, definitely listening Bodhi to Sil, because yeah, that was amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah. So good. Every part of that is perfect. Yeah. Any other listening Bodies today? I'll keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just one. All right. All right. And this week's question, canon aside, what do you think Palpy's Operation Cinder Messengers looked like? I already answered this question. Can I abstain from this because I have aphantasia and also I've played the game? (laughs) I can't imagine them as anything, but they are. Okay, that's fair. They have spider legs. Thank you. And the upper half is Crimson Guard, but with a hollow projector of Palpatine's face. Uh, They're real weird. I do want to say, I may not be able to say what they look like, but I could tell you that the red fabric is extremely good. Extremely expensive crushed velvet. Oh, absolutely it is. High quality. So, the, the, the highest quality of crushed velvet, which means they cannot go out into the rain. No, they would never. They would never. Yeah, like a little like umbrella shield pops up over them. It's fun. <laughs> Spared no expense. No expense. <laughs> the, the like, accountant for the Empire being like, where's all this money going? Crush Velvet. What, what is this for? <laughs> Crush Velvet? Like, extendable umbrellas? And the, and the Emperor's just like, don't worry don't about worry. it. Forget about it. But where are we? Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't ask. Like, waves his hand for a Jedi mind trick. <laughs> the one thing he wanted to co-op from the Jedi. <laughs> I think he sent baby Zillow beasts. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. I love Zillow beasts. Oh my god. <laughs> Little baby Zillow beasts. <clears throat> okay. So, hit us up with your answer to this question on Twitter at RoguePodron. Email us RoguePodron at gmail.com. Our website is RoguePodron.com. Our Patreon is Patreon.com slash RoguePodron. And you can subscribe via the Rogue Podron feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and Google, and probably many other podcatchers. Rate and review us on iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. And we have two reviews. Very exciting. What a fantastic show. Five stars by Liam Belson. Thank you, Liam. This show is brilliant. Heath, Meg, Danny, Uh, and Seth. That's a stretch. (laughs) Wow. Just enjoy the praise, Danny. Enjoy it. Bask it. Thank you, Liam. <laughs> Heath, Meg, Danny, and Saf are four podcasters who love Star Wars and each other, and it shows. I highly recommend the show for its heart, humor, and insightful views on Star Wars. <laughs> uh, that's a stretch. <laughs> Plus, they have such smart, funny episodes that everyone, anyone would have a good time listening to. Oh, wow. Liam is full of lies. This is Liam has too. never listened to Rogue <laughs> This is an extremely sweet review, but insightful views on Star Wars is something we have never had. That's not true. We have Okay, moments. it's not fully true. We have moments. We've had I moments. wouldn't say that overall this is an insightful podcast, <laughs> but we've had we've had some good moments. 
We've had some great moments. And then we have another one. A new favorite, five stars, by Regina Lynette. I just found this show and I really like it. I even went back to the beginning to listen to their older episodes. If you want people just having fun... (laughs) Yeah, big mood. (laughs) Hell no. And talking about Star Wars, then this is the podcast for you. The only downside is when they mispronounce bread co by saying panera lol <laughs> excuse me <laughs> what is bread co i never heard of bread co before <laughs> bread co is like the most generic name for panera ever what is i'm looking about bread co what is wait bread is bread co real bread co. yeah if you oh, if real. you google bread co panera wait comes panera is also called bread co i've literally never heard bread co in my life oh my god that's so funny Wait. <laughs> what? Did Panera used to be called Bread Co or something? What's happening here? Oh, yeah. Like, it used to be. We need a whole episode about the it history of Panera now. Louis Bread Co? What, what the heck? <laughs> hmm. Thank you, Regina, for this. Uh... My mind is blown. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I'm going to be thinking about Bread Co. No. Yeah, this is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> like, when did this change occur? How could they lie to us? Like, I don't... I don't like this at all. Predco. Predco. Yeah, well, at least send we have, back. <laughs> at least we have ten stars to eat. Don't send it back. I want those stars, Danny. Well, okay, we'll keep the stars. It's fine. We need them. We're so famished. It's been weeks. It's been weeks. So long. Great. Well, thanks. So, next time... The final part of Alphabet Padron. The XYZ, if you will. (laughs) Mick's just reading what I wrote. Blame me for this. (laughs) And with that, this is Rogue Padron signing off. Pash out. Pew pew pew. Pew 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 pew. Okay, nailed it. Okay, we're good. We're good. They're on. Zaf. It's on, it's on. Okay. It's on. Clapping in five. Four, three, two, one. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say Niku. <laughs> you were waiting for what? For you to say Niku. <laughs> Niku? Yeah. You say that sometimes. I don't, what? I don't understand I don't what's happening. You know, when we were recording a of Clones and you were like, we're going to restart recording, you're going to press play on the coup of Niku. <laughs> that was real funny. I don't, I don't uh, remember. I don't from remember past that episodes. at all. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that was like three episodes ago, oh aka like seven years ago. <laughs> okay, everybody shut up. Let's just do this. <laughs> everybody shut up. <laughs> Now I wish I kept the saltier intros, but, like, I guess not. It's okay, you can use it for the next episode. (laughs) Yeah. If Saf was a type of salt, she would be... I would be the pink rock salt you give to cows in the field. 
I'd be rose gold salt. What the fuck, Danny? Because <laughs> I'm a millennial. Oh. Danny, we're all millennials. Danny, we all. I know, but Saf took pink, so. That's fair. Oh. It's because it's the specific, it's like the same salt they make salt lamps with that you can also lick. The Himalayan sea salt. My parents used to have to come out into the fields and tell me to stop licking the cow salt. Because I really wanted to lick oh the my salt. Oh my god. <laughs> and so they bought me a very tiny cow salt rock. You got your own salt lick? I got my own salt lick. <laughs> you are a horse girl. I'm a cow girl, okay? I love cows. Steph is a horse girl. <laughs> it's more like a horse hyphen girl, though. <laughs> yeah. Like literally a horse. Yeah. <laughs> She's more horse than girl now. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you were really well behaved, would your parents give you a carrot? Actually, yeah, they would. Oh, I loved boy. carrots. Oh, boy. Okay. okay. <laughs> Seth is a horse. Oh, my God. I like so to believe I'm actually pot cow, but thank you. Makes sense. Okay. 